Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 42 for May 8th, 2011. So this will be a combination platter of an episode where we're going to review two gold key issues. Um, and due to an email that we were getting from a, a good listener named Brian, he told us that there was two of the Peter Pan record books that were based in the post-motion picture era. So we'll do one of them t- this week, and we'll do the other one next week. So this week we're going to do Dinosaur Planet. Ooh. So thanks a lot for that email to make us aware of this. Thank you, and (laughs) maybe not so strongly thank you because this is a weak comic book. Anyway, let's go on. It's it's out there. It's it's part of the uh, it's it's part of what's been published. So we're doing it. Darn it. And and the good thing is is that on this one I didn't have to read it. I got the record and I just listened to it and enjoyed the narration. (laughs) (laughs) You got okay. Yeah, I have the little 45s. Wow. That's something. <laughs> but I don't have a record player to play the 45s, so thanks to the brilliance of YouTube, uh, you just do a little search on Star Trek Dinosaur Planet, and pop, there they Bing! are. Somebody actually transferred it to MP3 and posted yeah. it. And they That's actually cool. took the images off the CD that, yeah. that we're reading off of and right. kind of uh, uh, did a pretty good job on, uh, you know, uh, transitioning the uh, the story along with the visuals. Excellent. So Excellent. thoroughly enjoyed it. So whoever did that, thanks. Yeah, that that's really cool. That's good. So, so yeah. So I'll be doing the review for Dinosaur Planet, um, and then we're going to do Gold Key episode, or excuse me, Gold Key number eight, which I'll also be doing the review for. And then Ken will be doing the synopsis for Gold Key number nine. Yes, indeed. So, lots of interesting stuff. We have uh, we have George Washington, dinosaurs. I mean, this this episode's going to have it all. It, it is, and it's from two of our favorite publishers. <laughs> indeed. Before we get started. Yes. We have an announcement. Oh! So, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary, and so to celebrate the one-year anniversary of actually publishing these out on the internet... Uh, we want to do a viewer's choice type episode. Actually, we want to do about four of them. So we want you, the listener, to write us with any ideas of maybe an episode that we cover some issues that you really liked or that you want to hear what we thought about certain things, um, whether it's really good issues or maybe really bad ones and you just want to see us uh, weed through it, your choice. Uh, also, we're not even opposed to having you guest star if you so wish. So uh, email us at – Oh, uh, wait, wait a minute, Don. You, you actually want to invite them on an episode? Sure. Why not? Oh, yeah. Well, we could do that. That'd be great. <laughs> well, I, we'll have to see how it all works with uh, – you know, you have to have Skype and good internet connection and all that other good stuff. But 
Uh, I think we already got one lined up where uh, we'll be doing some uh, manga My with uh, one of our listeners. So I'm not opposed to having other people on. Nope, nor am I. So email us your ideas of either an episode uh, or if you actually want to partake, and if so, what, what type of issues you want to cover. So our email address is starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. And uh, the sooner the better, because we're going to be publishing these episodes in the beginning of October. So uh, it gives us a couple of months to coordinate and record and edit and everything. So email us as soon as possible. Yeah, that'd be great. It'd be great to have uh, the extra spice of having some additional people on the uh, recording. Right. Get a little different point of view. Exactly. All right. So. That out of the way, let's jump into the uh, the issue. Uh, so these aren't numbered that I know of. Um, or actually, you said they were. Uh, uh, they've uh, got they've got this uh, PR number thing. Is that product number? I don't know. But the dinosaur one, dinosaur planet, is uh, PR forty five. And yeah, maybe that's Peter Pan Records. No, yeah, could be. All right, so this is forty five. Uh, regardless, it's not Marvel or anything. It's it's its own deal. Came with a forty five record. And it is entitled Dinosaur Planet. Uh, I have no idea who the writers or the artists are, but the artwork looks very similar to the Gold Key stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. All right, so the cover shows a photo of Kirk and Spock from the, in their um, motion picture pajamas. Uh, behind them, and this is an actual photograph of them, but behind them is a very rudimentary drawn comic book art of some dinosaurs and gemstones and it's a really odd contrast between the art in the background and the photograph in the foreground but it is what it is all right so the story starts off with a splash page showing a huge tyrannosaurus rex being blasted by kirk and sulu while spock watches there's an inset picture at the bottom where kirk explains that these are the new adventures of the starship enterprise and the continuing mission, blah, 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 that we all have heard a million times. So the story actually starts with the Enterprise arriving at the volcanic third planet within the Orblick star system. Spock estimates that there will not be any life on this planet, or naturally formed life on this planet, for another 124,426,682.34 years. And that was his rough estimate. Uh, so it'll be that long until any life appears. So while Spock is wrapping up his scans, the Enterprise is about to move on to the next planet when the computer sounds a charm or an alarm. Sp Spock reads the screen and states that the computer has actually picked up some intelligent life on the planet, despite all the odds to the contrary. There is a brief debate about how this is possible, and ultimately Kirk decides to beam down a landing party consisting of himself, Spock, Sulu, McCoy, and two security guards named Wadsworth and Tanka. They beam down to the lava field planet. Sulu, who is an Earth history buff in this story, marvels about how the planet matches Earth's crustaceous period. They are looking around when they are attacked by some monsters that resemble pterodactyls. The phasers have no effect. As more monsters appear, the crew take refuge in a large cave. 
As they're entering the cave, however, Wadsworth falls and strikes his head. Kirk helps carry the man to safety, and they all enter the cave unharmed. While exploring the cave, they find a stream of a golden liquid. They follow the stream, and they come to a huge chamber filled with precious gems. Wadsworth claims that they need to kill all the dinosaurs and take the gems for the Federation. Sulu exclaims that killing the creatures would be criminal. As they are bickering, a huge Tyrannosaurus lumbers over and uh, above them. Spock and Sulu discuss the differences between these Tyrannosaurus rexes and the creatures from Earth's past. These have longer arms and larger heads. As they are, as the discussion between killing them and taking the gems comes back up, thanks to Wadsworth, the dinosaurs themselves start to communicate through telepathy. They refer to themselves as the, Ty the Tyrannosaurus Rex. So I guess that's a species name now. And they thought that the crew were pirates at first until, the, until Spock identified them as intelligent life. Spooked about everything, including talking dinosaurs, Wadsworth takes a shot at the Tyrannosaurus. The phaser has no effect, but it starts a cave-in. The dinosaurs offer to give the crew a ride out of the caves and into safety. So they all jump on the back of these di dinosaurs and ride out of the cave. It shows them leaving the cave, and then it just suddenly flashes back up to the Enterprise, where they're talking about how they have a new planet to join the Federation. And it ends. So these, these Tyrannosaurus Rex people are forgiving. They, they are very forgiving. And, and so the Pterodactyls also have intelligence? Only they only spoke to the T-Rexes? Oh, you know what? I didn't get that. I thought it was just the T-Rexes that were the intelligent life form. And they might have just been. I just... Yeah, so, so the bottom line for me is this is a lame book mm -hmm. aimed at kids. So Little kids. Young there's, a lot, there's, there's a lot of things that don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, make a lot of sense or be uh, properly explained. Yeah. Anyway. Right. I mean, this because of the whole record thing in the, in the picture book, it's obviously aimed towards kids who right. don't read yet. And Big, yeah. So uh, you can't be too critical. I mean, I'm going to be on a few things because they don't match continuity. But right. aside from that, you know, the story's pretty pretty bare bones. <laughs> but yes. but what I was just couldn't understand is that the Federation come in, destroy your house, and just beam up, and then you still want to join that group of people. Well, how did they destroy your house? Just destroy destroy their house. Well, that phaser caused the cave in. And oh, the cave then... in or the cave? Oh, yeah. Which is which is really amazing. Okay, so the phaser can't harm these creatures, which is absolute BS. Um, unless they got some kind of force shields that nobody can see or something, which they don't mm -hmm. say anything about. Uh, however, <laughs> it is able to cause a cave-in. So, and, 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 and how did they explain the cave-in? I don't remember exactly. But it was, no, they it didn't explain it. It, it seemed it like just some happened. kind of lame, lame <laughs> explanation anyway. Oh, well, well and, and I think they even, they even go so far as saying that the dinosaurs themselves might not have helped it too much because it talks about how they're running so fast and they're – Footsteps are causing vibrations and the oh, walls right. that are causing it to fall even right. more, which right. didn't make sense to me either. Yeah, and and these T Rexes, supposed T Rexes, I mean, their actual size is more like a Velociraptor, although might maybe a very big one. Uh, but 
I mean, they're they're way too small to be uh, to be you know a T Rex. Really, I think that's about the right size. I don't think so. I mean, they're not that much taller than the crewmen. Well, I mean, look at, at, least look at the when shops. they're riding them. Well, even then, okay, I'll grant I'll grant you that. That's when they look the biggest. But still, I mean, they they look like they're the size of a big horse or something. I, you know, Clydesdale. I don't know. I, I, I yeah, they might be like as big as like a elephant or something like that. Well, that's giving them more than than I think. I mean, look at them. So they've got they got three people, uh, Kirk, Spock, and and McCoy. It looks like on the backs of one of them, and they're pretty much taking up the whole back. So actually, there's four people on that back because well, Wadsworth is laying down. Oh, yeah, that's true. Good point. And then they have two people on the other one. Right. But still, uh, I mean, it looks like they're taking three people sitting is more or less taking up uh, the, the space on their back. It, 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 the, the proportions are wrong. But then they also said in the book, uh, it's got longer arms than uh, than an Earth T-Rex. Right. Yeah, and by the way, is, is this is this all explained by parallel development or something? Because no, what, it's what not explained at all. What are pterodactyls and T Rexes, even mod, even little different T Rexes? What are they doing on a planet on the other side of the galaxy? But whatever. Well, yeah, that was my thing. I, I I think they only call them that because that's what a kid would already be somewhat familiar with. Familiar with, right, right. Um, right. I wish they would have just said they look like Tyrannosaurus Rexes from Earth, and then right. when the Tyrannosauruses start speaking, they actually refer to them as something else. Right. I was a little disappointed when they called themselves "We Thy Tyrannosaurus Rex." <laughs> you right. know, I'm like. That's your name? <laughs> that's the name of your race? But, uh, but again, written towards kids, and that's something that they would already be aware of. Yeah. And and, and they did try to – and by the way, Sewell is a very handy guy to have around given his uh, botanical knowledge and now uh, ancient history uh, dinosaur knowledge. So he's a very knowledgeable guy about things. Yeah. I, I think in the in the original show – they do mention that he has a botanical background, so that right. that wasn't out. Of, we right, a few that's episodes fine. ago that's cool. we we talked about it, and yeah. but I don't think that was truly as out of the blue as it probably should have been. But but yeah, this whole uh, he's a big history buff thing yeah. was was new to me. Yeah, and also another thing that was kind of interesting in the continuity uh, stretching part, which I'm sure you're going to bring this up. Uh, but so I'm reading through the book and I see Chekhov is the helmsman, and it's like, Chekhov. Well, okay, so maybe maybe Sulu's not on duty and and Chekhov is uh, is is doing the helmsman thing. But but no, uh, a few panels later, there's Sulu, who's looking kind of sleepy, quite frankly. But um, you know, it's like, what? Wait a minute. Well, what's Sulu doing then? If he's on duty, anyway. Well, well, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> the ahead. other thing you're gonna say is. Ensign Sulu? Wait a minute. Not only Ensign Sulu, but Captain Kirk? Oh, he should be Admiral at this point. Well, that's just it. You know, they're wearing the post-motion picture pajam- uh, motion right. picture era type pajamas, but right. the ship still is the original Enterprise. Right. So, And not a, very, not a particularly well-drawn one. Really? I actually liked it. But, but anyway. It's not accurate. I'm gonna have some stern words with uh, with Brian because these these this is not a post motion picture era. This is before the motion picture. Oh, that's what you're he, saying. Okay, so I mean, it's is... possible that the uniforms changed before 
they right. went in for the refit. I mean, sure. that, that's possible. That I can believe. Yeah. But I mean, cause, really because the ship's not new and because he's not Admiral Kirk, right? Right. Uh, I, I'm leaning towards if I had to put this into actual Star Trek continuity, it happens before the movie. Right. Like Which again, before. they're not too worried about continuity here. No. Uh, so, who knows? No. An interesting intellectual exercise <laughs> that may not have any bearing on the original writers of this tome. Of course not. Yeah, I'm sure they wrote it for the original series, and then when they got like pictures of the new, new show and needed to cash in on it, they're like, I eh, just... Let's draw them in these pajama looks. Right. We'll save a lot of money on green and blue crayon. We'll just <laughs> them all around or all gray. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, I thought it was rather odd when when they're getting ready to beam down to the planet, and Kirk asks individually every person on the rather large landing party if they're ready to go. <laughs> I thought that was rather odd. Well, it was convenient for me because I did not know who these other two guys were, and <laughs> one of them has blonde hair, so I was like, yeah. oh, I guess this is Decker, because I was really thinking that this was somehow during the motion picture or something like that, so I was like, oh, it's it's William Decker, and then he's he's Tonka or something, and I'm like, yeah, oh. Yeah, Tonka. Tonka, and in the next issue, when Tonka's there also, but I, I don't think his hair is always that same color. Because it's really blonde in this one. Yeah, it's like bright blonde. Uh, and what do you think about the artwork? I think the people look pretty good. I mean, they're yeah. obviously. It, it could have been a lot worse. Going. It could have yeah. been a lot worse. Although there are times when Kirk is looking really, kind of, uh, you know, kind, kind of bloated in the face. Okay. Puffy. I kept thinking his face Round. looked flat a lot. Like maybe that's what we're talking. Maybe that's what you're talking about, where it looked kind of squished in a little bit. Well, yeah, maybe that, but also when he's carrying this uh, this other guy all the time, this other dark-haired guy, what's his name? Wadsworth. His name. Wadsworth, there you go. There are spots where his face is looking awful pudgy. He looks like he's picked up 15 or 20 pounds. <laughs> well, that's probably how much that guy weighs. <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, I I get it. Yeah, I get it. He, get it? he picked up 15 pounds. <laughs> and by the way, why did he keep carrying the guy? He's the captain. Couldn't he get the other... Tonka, get over here. Help him. <laughs> or Spock, who has or Spock. superhuman strength. Exactly. I mean, at first, when when Wadsworth first had his, had his fall, that's fine. Expeditious. Get him get him to safety. But then after that, Kirk's like, keeps on carrying the guy. It's like, geez. Yeah, and Wadsworth was kind of a jerk, man. He I was mean, a jerk. He just wanted to kill all the, all the, exactly. all the dudes. Well, I thought he was like, I thought he was like affected by something like there's some kind of external force or something because it just seemed like he was not acting like a typical uh crewman but whatever. in the end that might be the case but uh you're reading into that because that's not i the... i did i did i i did see you're you're like me you got to justify things well that doesn't make sense so let me come up with a scenario where it would make sense <laughs> i'm trying <laughs> to explain and i really should just go with it now the one the one thing I want you to explain is what this yellow liquid that they followed was. <laughs> the gold. The dinosaurs referred to it as molten gold, but that would have been incredibly hot. So I'm thinking that it was some sort of rudimentary prehistoric plumbing that they were following. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
No, uh, I, 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 I don't know. But, but also, there's gems. There's like, like gems around. And didn't they already establish in Cat's Paw that, uh, which was a, a TV episode from the original series, which Donovan has never seen. I, I have surprised. seen it. Okay, you don't remember? Okay, fine. It's the Halloween episode. Exactly. Right. Okay. I thought you. Okay. Okay. So they've already established in the continuity that they can manufacture gems like that. So why is everybody getting excited about them? And that Cat's Paw episode, just to defend Gold Key for a second, you're always ragging on space voodoo. And that's all <laughs> Cat's Paw is about, is space voodoo. So you cannot make fun of Gold Key anymore for that. Oh, I can, because that was a terrible issue. And Cat's Paw might not have been the greatest episode. Well, it probably wasn't. But, <laughs> but they, I mean, at least there they're trying to say that it was really science in the Cat's Paw episode. That, that that they made it look like like mysticism, like like magic, right. like voodoo. But really, so, it, was but it wasn't just a beverage you could drink and then get supernatural powers. No, I know it wasn't I'm like that at all. And by all the right. way, what about that portable tricorder? Where Spock says, according to my portable tricorder, well, what other kind of tricorder is there? I don't get it. Again, they haven't explained it for the kids. Like they refer to phasers, and it's in quotes too. So any. Any word that's not normal English words, they put in, in quotes. There you go. And what about those phasers? So they got their, they got two dorsal fins on the phasers. I mean, it looks like it's part of a shark or something. Uh, it kind of looked like a luger or something. Yeah. Uh, is that supposed to be like a sight at the end, the dolphin fin you're talking about? Right, yeah. I mean, so it's it, huge. It's, it's part of the – I assume it's, it's part of the sighting. Of the, of, the, of the weapon and, and they're big and there's like normally you have one little little like nub in the front and right. then you have a notch thing in the back and this is just two nubs or two no two fins it's two fins and they're huge you're right but yeah it does look like a looks like an old german luger or whatever yeah i just looked at it do you notice when when wadsworth is shooting the tyrannosaurus rex he's holding his gun weird his his thumb his thumb isn't around the gun. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Weird. So his fingers are in the right spots, but his thumb appears to be missing. Yeah, they just either didn't draw it or he's, he's holding it the other way. Yeah, which wouldn't make much sense. I think no. it's just bad drawing. Yeah, I do too. Or it could just be a coloring. could be they just colored it in. Right. That happens sometimes. All right, that's all I got on this issue. You have anything else? I mean, we could uh, trash it all day long, but I'm yeah, we try. could trash it. We could trash it quite a bit. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm being, I'm being picky. <laughs> it, it could have been done better. And also, I must say that the photo they use at the end, uh, you know, so they have the, uh, they have, they have a, a little round inset showing, you know, Shatner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he looks constipated. I mean, it's he, he looks. <laughs> look at him. Doesn't it seem like he's trying to, you know? Oh, okay, so fine. So, um, in the lower right portion of that same page with the constipated Shatner, uh, there's these two robot-looking guys, a short little robot guy and then a taller kind of sort of robot-looking guy in like a black robe. Who right. are those people? What are they? I'm assuming that there's some background characters from the motion picture. That he or they're from some other sci-fi show and they accidentally got well, stuck on the cover of this. Exactly, exactly. I mean, this one guy looks a little bit like uh, – what was the Buck Rogers guy? They used to go – uh, Twinkie? Bug uh, – Buck. Yeah, that Twinkie. guy. 
Twinkie. Uh, Twinkie? Yeah. That, he looks was, a little bit kind of sort of like Twinkie because he's kind of short. And then the other guy, I have no idea who he is. He looks like he might have jumped, uh, you know, fallen out of a Doctor Who episode or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned Buck Rogers because when I first saw it, I I was getting a Twinkie vibe too. Yeah. And I don't know why because he has like a faceplate on, but it looks like underneath the faceplate is like a, a Twinkie type face. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's just his body shape. I don't, I don't know. know. It's the body shape. It's the shortness. Yeah. And it looks like there's a, he's part, you know, like a curtain. Part of a curtain is on him. It's like, it's just odd. That's an ambassadorial robe. Oh, of course. <laughs> anyway, it's just, it's just a little, little, little thing thrown out there. It's like, what is this? What yeah, actually, guys? I was going to ask you because this Peter Pan company, they also make uh, Space 1999 and other type sci-fi shows. Oh. And I was going to ask you if, if maybe they were somehow from the wrong franchise. But it you might don't know be. what they are either then. It might be, but I've never I, – I don't recognize them anyway. All right. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, then we'll jump into some gold key. Excellent. 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 All right. So uh, our next book will be Star Trek The Gold Key Series, number eight, which was entitled The Youth Trap, which came out September 1970. So, as with all Gold Key stuff, uh, the credits are unknown. So, they didn't put them in there, and I can't find anything on the internet that says who wrote it or drew it or anything. So, Do you think maybe they're embarrassed? I just don't – actually, what I did here is that they farmed it out to another country to do the artwork. Oh, did they? Yeah, but I don't know if that's true. That was just what I read somewhere. That's so theory. Well, I, I'm taking a theory that I – Saw somebody else say so. It sounded reasonable, so I, but I don't know. It could be. All right. Well, so it, again, man. unknown credits entitled "The Youth Trap." So the cover is just a photo of the crew on transporter pads with the caption: "They stand helpless as an alien dooms them to infancy." So if that doesn't <laughs> grab you, I don't know what will. Dooms dooms them to infancy. <laughs> All right, so as is common with all the Gold Key stuff, we have a splash page. And the splash page shows three young kids playing with rocks as Kirk and Spock discuss that these kids are, in fact, Dr. McCoy and two of their engineers. So now we're into the story. Uh, the Enterprise is hit by an unknown force, and the engines and all engine replacement parts are destroyed. Kirk orders an engineering team to beam down to a nearby planet to search for material to make the repairs. The crewmen find what they're looking for, and they radio Kirk. Uh, in mid-conversation, they are struck by a beam and start sounding like and acting like children. Uh, Spock, Kirk, McCoy beam down and find two young boys playing with rocks. As they're speaking to the children, they are attacked by some aliens firing an energy weapon. Uh, they try to take cover, but as they're taking cover, McCoy is actually hit and turns into a young teenager. Uh, Kirk uh, calls up the Enterprise, and he beams the three youngsters to the ship. As Kirk and Spock try to flank the aliens who are standing on top of a mountain, Kirk is shot. However, he does not de-age, and as Spock and Kirk make, uh, make it up the hill, they see that the aliens start fighting amongst each other, and it then they say that maybe they're just playing king of the mountain because one of them takes a tumble off the mountain or heel. Uh, Kirk and Spock speak to the alien that fell down. His name is Leiko, and uh, he tells them the story. So they're actually explorers that got trapped on this planet, uh, similar to how the Enterprise is trapped, and they inadvertently 
created a de-aging machine uh, and their plan was to trick the Enterprise crew to beam down so that they could test it on a human subject. Uh, they want to retain their current age, not become children or teenagers. So once they were able to calibrate it, hit Kirk and he didn't change, uh, they knew that they had succeeded. Uh, the other guy, whose name is Kuba, uh, tried to kill Lieko and ran off with the device. They track the other guy down to where the downed alien spacecraft is and find that the other alien, Kuba, is taking over control of the colony or the, the other aliens. Everybody who stands against him, who, who won't take his new rule, is hit with a beam and actually turned into a little baby. Um, on the ledge that Kirk and Spock and Lieko are sitting on, um, the ledge actually breaks and they slide down the hill right into the encampment and are captured. Uh, Kuba plans to use the, ray, the, the age ray to take over his government on his home world. Uh, he plans to take over the Enterprise first and use that as his ride home so that he can start his conquest. Uh, meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Scotty and the crew are playing nursemaid to the youngsters uh, that were beamed up earlier. Spock radios in and requests three for beam up. As they materialize on the pad, we find out that it's actually Spock, Kuba, and another guard. Uh, which I think they mentioned his name. I didn't write it down. Anyways, as he materializes on the pad, find out that it's Kuba, Spock, and another guy. Uh, Kuba threatens to kill Kirk, who's still on the surface, unless Spock helps him take over the ship. The first order of business, turn everybody into babies using the uh, ray through the telecommunication screens. So basically... <laughs> TV... <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Yes, yes, that's that's how it is. So he fires his anti-aging ray into the TV camera, which is then broadcast throughout the ship, and everybody starts de to de-age uh, about five years. Uh, Kuba takes this as a success and says that the crew will continue to de-age at a slower pace until they're all babies. Uh, he then beams back to the planet to prepare the rest for beam-up, but first he wants to take Kirk out. So he attempts to hit him with the ray, but Kirk is able to deflect it back to him, and he is turned into a baby instead. Lieko and Kirk uh, dress up as Kuba, and they beam back up to the Enterprise, and they retake, retake the ship from Kuba's henchman that had beamed up with him the first time. Uh, Lieko reconfigures the ray and uses it to return everybody to their normal ages again via the TV camera. Uh, Kirk orders Scotty to complete the repairs. He beams down and re-ages everybody that Kuba uh, turned into babies there on the, the planet. And he smashes the ray before he can um, re-age Kuba. Uh, and this is as some sort of punishment so that Kuba will have to relive his life uh, all over again. So back on the Enterprise, they complete repairs, and they're off on the next thrilling adventures of Star Trek, the Gold Key comic. Bum, bum, bum. Yay! So, de-aging Ray, what'd you think? I, you know, I, I've, I've heard that they've got research, and they're right around the corner from having a de-age Ray uh, in our modern time. Did you know that? I did not know that. Oh, yeah. This would be great. I thought they just had to build a transporter, take some DNA from us from years ago, and, and then when they beam us back, they will somehow reconstitute that DNA and make us young. Yeah, all all you need is like an old uh, transporter pattern for you. That's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um. Yeah. 
it was uh it th- these just aren't good <laughs> i'm sorry yeah they're again these are written for children more than what we've been reading i mean even the marvel stuff the first series of marvel was definitely written towards kids but i think it took the subject matter a little more seriously than this this does but saying that, um, this still, is not the worst of the gold key stuff we've read. No, it's not. No, it is <laughs> not. I mean, once you get past a few little things like the DH Ray, um, you know, a, a, another interesting story of uh, the ship almost getting taken over by a madman. Yeah, and I never really understood. I mean, he, he basically is going to get go to his planet and take it over by threatening yeah. to turn people into babies. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I just think that that wouldn't really hold up because eventually somebody's going <laughs> to overwhelm him and take the right, gun exactly. away from him, and then he has absolutely nothing. Right, exactly. It's, it's, the, the, the whole thing's ridiculous. I mean, that that's the biggest part. I mean, and that is kind of underscoring the, the childlike thing. I mean, there there there's uh, there's plenty of guys uh, on the down ship, uh, and this guy's waving around this big, heavy uh, ray gun thing. And it's like, yeah, they took out the one guy, but come on, they could rush him. No problem. They can wait till he falls asleep. I mean, right. And you try to do that on a planetary scale? Oh, my God. Take him out with a sniper rifle. I mean, they're, I mean, yeah, and when they get back to the planet, all their pet dinosaurs aren't going to be babies, so I'm right. sure they can have a pet dinosaur take him over. <laughs> You're talking about that, that creature they first were experimenting on? Yeah, the, the Tyrannosaurus the Rex. The Tyrannosaurus Rex, yes, exactly. <laughs> that they have chained up next to the ship. Exactly, and he's full size, chained up, and he's just kind of hanging out. And then, he gets and then they made him up. a baby dinosaur. Oh, yeah. That's They're cool. like, what, a, what an interesting gun. It actually wow. changes them to little babies. Exactly, and it's totally at random because they didn't design it to do that. It just no, it was, to do that it. was just they, side they effect. It. Exactly. <laughs> I you just know, thought it was I, funny they had a baby di- – I mean, they had a big full-grown dinosaur on the ship as a pet. <laughs> <laughs> well, they could have caught him on the planet. I don't know. I didn't get that. I thought they said, hey, our pet shrink <laughs> – I, I, forget, well, I forget the exact wording, but I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Well, it, it just makes me want to say, suffering sunspots or maybe hot novas. Yes, they have the expletives here. They do, and uh, those were one from Kirk and one from McCoy. <laughs> and there are more. Yeah. It's yeah, like, this this gun is coy, huge now that you mentioned it. I didn't really look at it. It is it is huge. He has it like on a tripod at one point. Yeah. At the beginning when he shoots the uh, one bigger guy that says, the heck with this, we're not following you, and he turns him into a baby, he's swinging it around on a tripod. Yeah, it is. And and why does he? Why does all these guys look like Lex Luthor? <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah, yeah. They're, or, or Picard. Yeah, in Is my that... notes, in my notes, I wrote that uh, for whatever reason, these guys look exactly like Justin One and Justin Two from issue number five, The Ghost Planet. Oh, you you you, you looked that up, did you? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's the exact same guy. Yeah. So maybe these guys came from that planet uh, oh, when, when that no. big world war was happening, nah. and they fled the planet, and they ended up here, and they That's, accidentally shrank their little dinosaur. That must be it. <laughs> Can I go to, on to another, another point of, uh, Please. of, of ripping this thing, uh, a new orifice? Um, okay, so instead of dilithium crystals, that being the big ship's failed part that, oh, my God, we can't get out of here, 
its filaments. Filaments. I mean, the only filaments that I know of, for the most part, are in light bulbs. So, they needed to dumb this down so much, I, I'm guessing, that, that they made the part that, 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 that burned out on the ship that they had to replace, they had to get down on the planet, find the minerals, make new filaments, is the, the main part of a, of, of a light bulb. It's like, wow. I mean, uh, you know, I, I definitely trying to use current technology as being something people can like relate to rather than, uh, than, than something that's you know, way out there kind of thing. But is, is, I guess that's, that's good to some degree, but is this filaments? Filaments? I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't really <sighs> think about that. I just, but yeah, you're right. Anyway, it's kind of dumbing things down a little bit too much, but they are supposed to be for, I guess, as being written for kids. Right. So what do you think of Scotty? Blonde Scotty? Yeah, blonde uh, Scotty. Matinee Idol Scotty? Boy, I mean, he is a looker in this one. He is. I mean, he has he, the leading man rugged. chin and the waving right. blonde hair. Waving blonde ha- hair. Uh, and and he, he's, a, he's a rugged, good-looking, he looks like a lumberjack or something. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder why, because he's been no in these stories earlier, and he didn't have surfer right. blonde hair. He looked more or less like, like he normally did, kind of. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Yeah, I just he thought that was odd, because I didn't think it was Scotty at first, and then he's actually referred to directly as Scotty, and I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. And he comes in with a spacesuit on. Yeah, so yeah. was he outside of the ship checking the ship out? I didn't quite get that. Yeah, that or he was in the actual ship nacelles and maybe the radiation there. Radiation, radiation suit. Yeah, that's what I thought. Maybe. It kind of looks like a space suit, but uh, yeah, it could be a radiation suit. Um, and, okay, here, here's another one. Yeah, I love this one. Um, so exactly how did Laco's people cripple the Enterprise? Not only Anything? that, but why did they do it? Well, okay, okay here you go. Okay, like they said. Okay, so Laco and his people are on the planet in their own ship that's crippled. Right. Okay, and somehow they're able to detect the Enterprises out there, which, okay, so maybe their their ship's sensors do work and they have it sh- shooting out in space. But somehow they're able to cripple the Enterprise. They were able to reach out into space uh, and cripple the Enterprise and, and burn their filaments yeah, they crippled so, it in, in a way that could actually get repaired. Uh, only by coming down to the planet. Right. That's, oh, and, and so now you got two crippled ships. Okay. <laughs> so these people are these people are, are, are stranded in their crippled ship. They cripple they cripple another ship that could be used to get out of there. Um great plan. That's that's great. Yeah, and what's funny is that Lieko was obviously part of that plan, yet he's given a clean bill. Uh, towards the end of the story, as he's the good guy and and Cuba is the bad guy, yep. but I mean, but he was part of this mastermind plan to get people <laughs> down on the planet so they can use as guinea pigs for their ray gun. Yep. Yeah. So I I don't know if you remember this, Ken, but a few a while back we did a story on uh, Marvel number nine called "The Experiment in Vengeance." Where there was ah. a, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think I remember that one. So there was a Doctor Hester there that was sending all these six six coworkers of hers to the 
teleportation machine that she was testing. A very experimental teleportation machine. So I don't know. I just why why could why could these guys not just randomly pick these crew members and test it on them? Yeah, exactly. Nobody's that gullible. Yeah, apparently not as gullible as those uh, Doctor Hester six uh, transportation uh, victims. I mean uh, volunteers. Right. Anyways, but but to your point, they were able to cripple the Enterprise and. Their plan was to try to take it over after they recalibrated the the gun, but I think that they could have just called for help and and accomplished the exact same thing. Oh, calling for help from the Enterprise. Yeah. 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 Enterprise well, comes, it, tries to help them out. They well, blast yeah, exactly. a few of them into babies. Take it. Over. <laughs> exactly. Well, at, I mean, it seems like the rest of the crew they're fine. It's just this one guy who's uh, you know he thinks he's con or something. He wants to take over everything. Uh, everybody else seems seems kind of okay, except for the fact that uh, you're right. I mean, they would have all probably had to have been in on the uh, on the whole plot to um, cripple the Enterprise in the first place. Right. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So we've already talked about how the ray through the TV is kind of uh, silly. Oh my god. Let's use oh the my word god. silly. Yeah. So so Spock actually says, uh, "How? What are you gonna do?" Shoot us all with the aging ray, and yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah, and I thought it was funny is that it it only de-aged him by five years, and he jumps to the conclusion that oh well they'll continue to de-age right. till they're babies, and he acts like that's a, a victory. Yes, I got them. They're all younger and more virile than they were before I came <laughs> on. <laughs> yes, yes, that 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 one hot blonde. Lady with the big hair, Susan. Oh, is that her name? Did, yeah, I was the, looking around for the name. Yeah, they call her. At first, I didn't know who she was either, but then they called her Susan. And ah. and if she's going to be a regular on these gold keys, I might have to start reading some more of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's got this uh, like 1960s, 70s, whatever, um, you know, starlet hair that looks like it would take like. For, I mean, she looks a little like Farrah Fawcett, actually. I was going to say she had Farrah Fawcett hair. Yeah, uh, and it's like, man, that must take a long time to get that hair that way. Yeah, what's funny is that when she's talking to Scotty, she's kind of playing with her earring and kind of being, you know, maybe coy or flirtatious a little bit. And I'm like, this is just a weird scene that, that she's just stuck in there. Exactly. I mean, who the hell is she? What does she do? And why is she flirting so much with Scotty? Yeah. I don't know. It just it's just weird, especially when they're talking about how they're going to babysit these three little kids, and she's sitting there playing with her earring, talking to the hunk of Scotty. <laughs> and then, uh, very quickly on the next page, there's a scene where um, where uh, what's 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 his name again? Ben? We'll just call him Lex Luthor because that's Lex exactly Luthor. what he looks like. Okay, so Lex Luthor is telling Spock. <laughs> He's going to blast everybody in a mass blast. And then those two guys talking are in the background, and they got the Babelicious in the foreground, and her hair is like a profile kind of thing, and her, and, her, and her hand is to her side, and she's got a look on her face like, I'm so surprised. Yeah, she's like grabbing her chest, gasping in surprise. Exactly. And, and she's like in these other scenes totally gratuitously for no obvious reason. Nope. It uh, never says what her function is on the ship. She's just she's just supposed to be there looking hot. I guess they needed yeah. her to 
show that the aging was working because she's the one that's like, oh yes, this is great. The lines under my eyes, they've disappeared. Yeah, oh no, no, the, those faint lines <laughs> under my eyes, they've disappeared. I mean, it's like it's like oh my, you you you're, you're just creating this thin, vapid character who is stereotypically, you know, what somebody in the 60s might have thought is like the ideal of woman or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of insulting. Yeah, well, I liked her, but she didn't really serve anything in the, in the story. No, she's eye candy. Yeah. And that. and that picture there right underneath where she turns young by five minutes or five right. uh, years, that mm -hmm. bottom right-hand panel there with mm -hmm. the Kuba kind of with his hands above yeah, his head, kind of like yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's he Lex Luthor. Looks just like Lex Luthor. That's right. That's it's true. like they like, oh, let's draw Lex Luthor in here. Yeah, we know how to draw him already. We and, we, um, we did we did a Superman one a few a uh, few months back. And they <laughs> and they even have like him in the purple and green outfit that Lex Luthor was always wearing. Ah, so it's just point. like okay, he's evil because he looks like Lex Luthor. All right, and then the last thing I have about this is Kuba turns into a baby, and Kirk destroys the sh the, the device before he can re-age him as punishment. Right. And one, that seems – that really shouldn't be Kirk's call. And two, they've already said that when you turn into a youngster or a baby or whatever, you still have all your memories. You just think like a child, but you still – retain everything that you know mm -hmm. so what does kirk think is going to happen to this baby he's he's, he's has all of and get pissed he has all of kuba's memories and now he's going to yeah. have this really screwed up check second childhood where he has all <laughs> these memories of a man but yeah. he's having to relive his life as a little boy and he's not going to be a bigger better person when he gets old enough no he's probably going to want to come for uh some vengeance on old kirk Exactly. So maybe like, you know, <laughs> maybe he's the guy that uh, maybe he becomes Soren in the future and uh, <laughs> kills Kirk there in, gen in generations. It could, be. it could be. I finally got my uh, my vengeance on you. All right. I'm stretching there. Uh, you, yeah, a lot. A lot. Um, I do like how in the end uh, <laughs> Spock says you'd have to be a victim of the age ray to believe it. Yes, yes, Spock, you're right about that. I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever read this. Uh, it's pretty It's pretty out there. Yeah, and when they become re-aged by watching TV, uh, <laughs> they're all so yeah. happy. I mean, even the woman is like, oh, I'm back to my normal. I can just feel it. Uh, and you're like, really? I've never known anybody who's like, I wish I looked five years older. <laughs> exactly. They yeah, should. And quite and and quite frankly, that 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 ray would have been handy to have around. It's like, uh, you know, they they could have kept on making movies and stuff, and then uh, <laughs> Shatner wouldn't be all fat and you know, kind of roly poly, and uh, McCoy wouldn't look like a shriveled up old uh, piece of shoe leather. They well, could have kept on going. You know, McCoy's dead now. So what are you trying to say? Well, he could still be making movies. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm stretching things a little bit. But the main point is, I mean, you get something like that, it's like, that could be handy to keep around. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. You, but you destroy it. Yeah, well, and what I didn't understand is that five years is not that much. Yeah. But 
why would you not just age the three crew members that got turned into little children and kind of leave everybody else alone? Yeah, they, you, here, here well, you go. Five more years on your on your life. It's not like they lost five years worth of their memories, right? Yeah, actually, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's that's a bonus for you know living with the dangers of deep space. You know? <laughs> exactly. Here's five more years on your life. Exactly. Until you beam down to the next planet and get a lerpa in the chest. But you know, other than that, <laughs> I just noticed that 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 page before uh, they turn everybody back, or that page that everybody gets turned back. If you look at the top panel, you see mm-hmm. Susan standing in front of Kirk and uh, Lieko, and she actually has a mirror, and she's like gawking at her her own beauty. newfound beauty. Ah, her regained beauty. Yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, and I like the last picture, Enterprise blasting off flames shooting out of the nacelles. Yes, but, at least, but at least not the engineering section. I like it. I know that it doesn't make a lick of sense, but it's a cool visual. Yeah, it does look cool. Uh, I also think there are many scenes in which Kirk is quite the action-packed man. Well, that's that's straight from the the original series. Oh, but no, but I mean, th- there are so many things where Kirk is almost vertical. He is moving so fast, uh, and he's like uh, attacking, and he's like, "Wow!" Did you not yeah. ever watch the show? Kirk was always rolling and diving <laughs> and stuff. Like Tim Allen. In Galaxy Quest, right. Exactly, exactly. Yes. But I, it, it's just a little overdone in this. But actually, it looks kind of cool. Yeah, it does look cool. The, so the, only the, bad thing says, is, the only bad thing is it does not look like Kirk. It looks no. kind of like John Wayne or somebody. I mean, John, you know, I don't John know. He, 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 he looks like a taller, leaner... Um, Kind of guy, but he has this rugged look, which Shatner did not have. He looks older than Shatner was there, and mm-hmm. he has this like cowboy look in his face to me. No, oh. I don't know. Uh, that's what I kept thinking of, like some sort of cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Clint yeah, Eastwood, right. John Wayne type look. Yeah, especially when uh, when Gooba is a little baby, a pissed off looking little. Little baby, <laughs> he looks like a little Ming the Merciless. <laughs> yes, death to you all. <laughs> um, and then, th- then Kirk is right behind him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Kirk. I mean, Kirk looks like um, Nick Fury or something. He just looks really just wow. He just looks square jawed and yeah, exactly. That, that's my point. He just does yeah. not look like Shatner. No, no, no. They didn't bother. Yeah. So, anything else? This is uh, no, not, not a horrible one. What 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 was that? I don't think it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a- actually, I'm kind of reveling in its badness. <laughs> it is so bad, I'm reveling in it. So, on your scale of one to five, where would you put it? Uh, I I wouldn't put it too many notches above the paper mache Paris uh <laughs> one, quite frankly. You know that would that one a, wasn't that a bad. A one, maybe a two. Yeah. No, one and a half. I'll give it a one and a half. I'll I'll give it a one and a half as well. <laughs> they did mention Esperanta again. Did you notice that? Yes. Yep. The 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 mythical interplanetary language of Esperanta, Esper well, how you how you pronounce it? Yeah. Where even people from different galaxies, because again, these guys are from a different galaxy uh, that you've never met before. Apparently, they speak Esperanta too. I, I did look it up. 
uh, and to see if maybe there was some sort of reference to Esperanta in the old show that maybe I just never caught, and nah. there's not. The, the, these not. comic books are the only ones that ever reference it. Yep. And at least they're trying to say something about how to explain why everybody can, can understand each other. They just can't say Universal but, Translator? Yeah, well, you know, that was always pretty weak. I mean, so, so we're, okay, so you beam down to a planet. Um, I don't see the Universal Translator. I mean, I, I know in the original uh, Trek series, they actually showed the Universal Translator in one, maybe two episodes. Um, but, I mean, nobody's got it on their belt. I mean, what, what, how is that supposed to work? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the communicator in their pocket? <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, but no. no. <laughs> it's better not even to try. Right. Uh, did, we, did we talk about this before? Because I think I might, we might have mentioned this before in, in the many episodes. And I know I had mentioned before, I kind of liked how Farscape did it, even though it was kind of... Uh, <laughs> uh, Farscape did it by the little nano things in your in your bloodstream? Uh, some, somehow in your body, in your bloodstream, in your ears, something. Uh, they shot you up with these little, uh, th- these little nano machines or something right. that would would allow people to understand each other. Right. Yeah. I thought that I thought that was you know at least you're not saying that a a device, uh, roughly the size of a flashlight, is uh it, you know that's your translator thing. At least you know at least they didn't try to say that. And then you never see the device again. But everybody can still talk to each other. Right. And, I mean, I do like the way Farscape did it. I also like the way, you know, uh, the way that they did it in um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with the the Babelfish. Oh, (laughs) right. Okay. Where they stuck it in their ear and it would resonate the meaning of the words through the little membrane or whatever. I have nothing else about this. This issue. I have nothing else either. Like I said, not, still, not the worst you, one we've read. You can still revel in the in the badness of it. Yeah, they do kind of have their own little charm. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, even though they're bad, not bad, but not as good as other ones. Uh, there's, you know, it's always kind of interesting to see the the different kind of artwork and the, you know, some of the liberties they take with the technology and equipment. Yeah, and and the Star Trek universe. Exactly. Spun in a new and totally different way. Yeah, would you really want everything to be exactly the same every week? Well, of course not. It's just that if you're going to make it different, make it different in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of a really bad way. All right, so let's move on to the next issue. Sounds good. Okay, our next comic is Gold Key's Star Trek. Issue number nine, The Legacy of Lazarus. Publish date is February 1971, um, and of course, creative team, team is unknown. Okay, synopsis. The cover has photos of Kirk and Spock from the original TV show, with this text in large capitalized font. George Washington is alive and well. Watch out, Mr. Spock. Ooh, what could this be about? Okay. Page one shows uh, one full-size panel, full-page panel. Um, in the center is Kirk, Spock, O'Hara, and two more male crewmen, organized in a defensive circle with phasers drawn. Closing in from all sides 
are a cast of characters from Earth's history. Napoleon, Lincoln, Nero, probably Washington, etc. The text box in the upper right-hand corner tells us they are in the Stygian system on a planet inhabited by every, every famous person from Earth's history. The text ends by menacing, menacingly saying, when the past encounters the present, only one will survive. Sounds like a WWE wrestling match. Um, Spock asks Kirk if he has any ideas, and Kirk replies, no, but they will go down fighting. This is when they're, you know, in that defensive circle. The story opens as the Enterprise enters orbit around Gamma Alpha 4. Robotic probes that investigated the planet ten years ago reported it was habitable but devoid of life. Spock reports the planet has a thriving civilization with a very large population. A landing party is formed. Once on the planet, they investigate the city. The first inhabitant they encounter appears to be George Washington. They meet him and he offers to take them home for dinner and to talk. George's wife turns out to be Helen of Troy, packing a big pot of dinner. Washington tells them he does not know how he got there, but all is provided for them, so all they have to do is reminisce about the past. The only structure denied to them is a big silver tower in the center of the city. Spock and Sulu check out the tower while Kirk and others meet the rest of Washington's associates, who turn out to be Nero and other historical figures. McCoy proposes that maybe the planet is heaven, but Kirk points to Hitler and probably uh, and, and to another Nazi officer, maybe uh, Hermann Goring. They lose contact with, with Spock and Sulu. They rush to the Silver Tower and find Spock gone and Sulu knocked unconscious. The search for Spock begins. Meanwhile, Sp Spock is tied to a chair in Alexander Lazarus's underground evil villain lair. There, Lazarus explains what is going on. Lazarus is an Earth historian whose radical proposals met with jeers from his peers. Feeling underappreciated, he left Earth with his computer, only one, and a handful of robots to set up shop on Gamma Alpha 5. They found the underground cave, and the robots built the silver tower. The tower acts as an antenna that attracts and transfers the thoughts of all the historical figures around it and records it on, get this, punch cards. <laughs> Don't spill your Pepsi on that recording medium, Lazarus old boy. The vision of these writers, nay futurists, is phenomenal. Spock logically asks, where did all the historical figures come from? Lazarus, Lazarus explained how his cyclone, P-S-I-C-L-O-N-E, short-circuited and turned one of his robots into Benjamin Franklin. Uh, personally, I hate when my cyclone circuit uh, short-circuits, but apparently it's worked out well for old Lazarus. Over time, he repeated the process and turned more of his robots into historical figures. And the robots, the remaining robots not turned into historical figures, built the city that they all inhabit. 
Lazarus explains that he is bored with listening to the same stories from the same Earth historical figures, so he wants to now study Vulcan history and needs Spock's brain to do it. Of course he does! Spock's brain is quite a popular little hunk of gray matter. Lazarus actually says he must use his brain drain device to suck out Spock's brain patterns, uh, and unfortunately the process will kill Spock. You know, you gotta break a few eggs to make a cake. Uh, Sulu and the rest of the landing party find a hatchway in the ground. Lazarus sicks his historical robots on them. They set their phasers on stun and prepare to repulse the attack of the historical figures. Underground, Lazarus tells Spock to get up so the brain sucking can begin. But what ho! Spock uses a simple mathematical progression to open his handcuffs. He disarms Lazarus and opens up a can of whoop-ass on him. Lazarus is able to get to his gun and now says he will kill Spock. Spock has had enough and disarms him again. This time, Lazarus runs, runs blindly away from Spock and you guessed it, right into the old brain drain machine. The sucking begins, and Lazarus gets his deadly gets a deadly taste of his own medicine. Spock observes the stray that the stray phaser fire destroyed the computer and started multiple fires. Spock finds his communicator and signals Mr. Scott to beam up everyone but him. He must stay behind to gather the invaluable punch cards, punch card records, after all. The rest of the landing, landing party is beamed out of getting the crap kicked out of them. On the Enterprise, Kirk orders the red-haired and lock-jawed Mr. Scott to beam Spock up no matter what he is trying to retrieve. Scott says he is too far underground, so Kirk says, turn up the transporter power and get him out now. Eventually, they get Spock up, just as the cavern totally explodes. Worse, Spock orders the helm to get them out before the entire planet explodes. Of course the entire planet will explode. That was a big computer that was on fire, after all. They get away in time. Uh, they, they get away from the planet on time, have a short McCoy-Spock verbal sparring match, and Kirk says something expiring and kind of lame about needing history to pick us up when we fall. And that ends the story. Now, you said when uh, Lazarus fell into the brain drain machine that the uh, sucking began then. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I sure? Come on. Look. You sure that's when it began? <laughs> oh, I got you. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty much the whole comic sucked. Exactly. You are you are correct, sir. It, oh my god. It, it had as a. At one point, I thought that it had something going, and then uh, it just kind of fell apart. So, so that point was like maybe at the beginning. <laughs> when, when Helen of Troy was introduced as Washington's wife, that's that's when it kind of fell apart for me. <laughs> It took that long. Yeah, I was at first. I was like, okay, this might be interesting. These are clones or something. And then let me introduce my wife, Helen of Troy. And I'm like, okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm out. 
You know, um, this is a lame comic on so many levels. But but <sighs> but in regards to the whole spouse thing, it said that it every famous historical person was there. So, I mean, yes. George Washington's wife is pretty pretty I would famous. Say, more yeah. famous than I am, so wouldn't oh, she yes, be there? Of course. Uh, you know, I don't know what the cutoff is because it does say every historical figure. At least I'm pretty sure it said every. Yeah, I think it did too. Yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, so these clones or whatever are able to marry other people, and especially when it says that these clones or androids have all of the thoughts of the person that that they're copies of. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I think I think a lot of people would want to stay with their significant other and not just marry somebody else just because that's the only person around. I, perhaps, but hey, let's let's take a look at this possibility here. You got Helen of Troy, the face that lost a thousand ships. And True. you know, here's George, <laughs> you know, you know a little bit strange, you know, something different, something new. He was with Martha a long time and uh you know, Helen looked like she was in her prime, so you know, maybe you thought, hey, time to uh, you know mix it up a little bit. Cats away, the mouse will play. Hey, po- possibly. Um, yeah. yeah, this thing is so. I mean, the whole the whole uh, the whole idea of a short circuit turning a robot into a perfect clone of Benjamin Franklin, and then somehow through through what historical records that were programmed into the the single computer he has um, well, which which runs off of punch cards uh, I love that um you know <laughs> oh, what, what historical records are good enough that will have enough well, I, detail about anybody to be able to magically transfer it to these robots I don't know now I thought that that big um and the the antenna or whatever that he was building yeah. was actually absorbing the the thoughts of historical the robots. people. Yeah, no, the thought, robots. No, they absorbed no. the thoughts and then projected them into the robots. No, what? No, huh? I that's no, what no, he no, said. no, 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 no. Magically, the robots when they turned into Benjamin Franklin, they already had the memories, the right, personality, the, the everything. Right. And yep. that tower was recording it from the robots onto punch cards. That That's what I got out of it. No, because it said, uh, and then they erected the silver spire on yeah. the planet's surface to act right. as an antenna, a yeah. receiver of sorts. So yes, I thought it was exactly. receiving these thoughts and then from when the it robots. starts. No, receiving the, because this happens from before what? the first one turns what into the... Ben Franklin. Because that's there uh, no, on... No, no, okay, so so these people have been dead for thousands of years. Hundreds in some case, thousands of years. Yep. We're, now, now, I'm not saying that any of this story makes sense. But nope. what you're proposing, your interpretation of it, makes even less sense. So well, that's what I, somebody I, who's I, been dead for thousands of years, the antenna's going to pull it out of the ether or something? Right, I think they're, they're, they're saying that as you live, your thoughts are being projected... And they're projected into space, and then he built this spire that would somehow find these thoughts and concentrate them and what? capture them. Okay, well, this is, turning, this is turning interesting. Okay, so if you had the spire, 
that could magically pull all these people that have been dead for thousands of years, their personalities, their memories, the historical facts that were part of their lives, yep. and put them on punch cards. Well, what the hell do you need all these robots walking around for? Well, because he wants to be able to interact with them. Oh, but he's sitting down in his cave, in his, in his evil genius cave. <laughs> I, I, I'm agreeing with you that it doesn't make sense. I mean... It doesn't make sense in that even if – let's just say that you do project your thoughts out there and that you could uh-huh. create a device that would record it. Okay. okay. And this planet that he's on is hundreds of light years away or whatever. Mm. If it's been able to record these human thoughts from Earth as mm. they reach this planet, yeah. then you would have to record them real time. So you couldn't – between Helen of Troy and George Washington – that's hundreds of years, so you couldn't just have them both there at the same time. You'd have to wait hundreds of years before you start recording George Washington's thoughts, which also doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't no. make sense any way you look at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, that I will agree with. A- and my interpretation is different from yours. Well, and, and neither it... interpretation makes any sense. I mean, the, the thing kind of <laughs> makes sense if you get past the idea that suddenly, somehow, when the, when the cyclotron or whatever it was uh, short-circuited, it somehow magically made Benjamin Franklin. I mean, if you can get past that, I mean, with all the memories and personality of Benjamin Franklin, if you can get past that, then the rest of what he was saying and my point I guess makes some sense, but uh, yeah, I mean that's a big thing to get past up front. Yeah, it it doesn't make <laughs> sense, and, and there's no it doesn't really warrant arguing about it. But but oh no no we'll yeah the, the only reason why I think that my interpretation might be what they were going for is that he talks about the antenna and uh, being able to attract and record the brain waves, the very of thought the of every. Him. And that happens all before the very first one turns into Ben Franklin. So that's why I think that it's supposed to be attracting the brain waves of humans from Earth to this uh, to this device. But but you're right. It 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 doesn't make sense, and it's not worth <laughs> trying to defend it. Uh, yeah, anyway. because I'm I'm read I'm reading this thing, and I see where the robots. And he's got a ton of robots. Yeah, they're he, building he brought them buildings. From Earth. In a matter of months, my androids had constructed a city around the silver antenna. Right, that's it. Yeah, that's okay. That's later than the previous page. Yeah, he says that he fled Earth because there was an accident, but it never says what the accident actually was. I thought he fled Earth because he was underappreciated. Is that what it says? I thought it said there was an accident. Just like my associates on Earth, they scoffed, laughed at me. One minor malfunction in my computer. Yeah, so he had a malfunction. He was doing a demo of something. Uh, his well, it, he, he was doing a demo of something, and it didn't go right. And and basically everybody it made a laughing stock out of him. Well, they so, should. That's a ridiculous thought. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why he left. Yeah, and I guess he wants to use Spock as a template so that he can then attract uh, Vulcan thought waves. 
But that doesn't make sense because Spock's only half Vulcan, so it would suck that he uses the brain drain machine on him and then he still only gets to tune into the uh, human band wavelengths. Yeah. Anyways, like I said, not worth arguing about. <laughs> now, there was one famous figure that you didn't mention that, that I think uh, bears uh, mention. Okay. And that there were is, many there. That was Mr. No, Anton York. Oh, that. The forty yes, fourth uh, president of the or forty fifth president of the United States. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Which the dude's sitting there wearing like this big long flowing cape, and he's supposedly the forty fifth president of the United States, which means that he's going to be the president after Obama. Uh huh. So either the either the style is going to radically change in between now and two thousand and twelve, uh-huh. or Obama definitely gets another term. And in the next five years, uh, everybody will be sporting capes. <laughs> That's my thought. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's it's the same thing about the eugenics wars and World War Three and all this kind of stuff. Well, you, if you're, it's in, all if you're in the 60s, if you figure you make it in the 90s, you're safe. <laughs> and then the 90s come and go, and you start looking a little silly. It's all real, dude. This is this is going to happen. I'm gonna, In fact, I'm going to get me a costume made just like this so that I can... Have a jump on it. Yeah, and 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 yeah. So so that forty fifth president has uh <laughs> pajamas and a cape. Pajamas and a cape. Yeah. But of course Lazarus also looks like some kind of cheap actor from some uh Shakespeare repertoire company or something. Yeah, he looks like uh Rashal Ghoul from the uh, Batman comics. Oh, does he? Yeah. With uh, like feathered gray Temples. Uh, yeah. So, so that's the guy Liam Neeson played in the uh, in yeah. Batman Begins. Right. Ah, hmm. Interesting. I'm glad Liam didn't dress like that. Uh, yeah, probably wouldn't have worked out very well. No, no. But he is portrayed that way in several Batman animated movies, which are quite good. Ah. All right. So. Yeah. So, is there anything else fun to talk about? I'm going to tell you the one part of the book I, I can honestly say I liked. Okay. And that is the shot of the Enterprise the Enterprise leaving the exploding planet. Oh. It's, a, <laughs> it's a pretty cool picture, even though you're right. It doesn't make sense why the planet would suddenly explode. Yeah. But the, I mean, uh, if, you, if, you have a, if you have an exploding um, evil genius layer, I mean, okay, so it's going to explode locally. You know, whatever. But enough to destroy an entire planet? Well, maybe it's something to do with that big antenna harnessing some sort of thought waves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, like... I do agree. It, it looks pretty spectacular because you got the Enterprise streaking from left to right with with engine exhaust and flames coming out of the uh, nacelles. Uh, luckily, not the engineering section. And you've got the big yellow and red explosion behind it. It does look pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Yep, I like it. Of course, not as impressive as trying to blast yourself away from a black hole, but hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, what anything in this book that you actually liked? Um, I liked this. The landing party 
has a canteen of water on their belts. Sure. Kirk has a canteen of water on his left to his left. So does Spock. I think that is cool. Because mm. uh, traditionally in Star Trek, landing parties, uh, well, period, they almost never acknowledge food, water, um, oh, I had three things. Food, water, oh, yeah, uh, defecating. You know, none of that stuff is really, um, you know, discussed in the Star Trek universe. So I'm glad at least one of the three is acknowledged with, uh, you know. With I don't remember that third one being mentioned in this book. No, no, no. I said one of the three. Because <laughs> they beam down all the time. I mean, they got no food. They got no water. You know, they probably don't even have toilet paper with them. Oh, oh wow. Anyway. <laughs> at, at least Stargate, when they went through the Stargate to different planets, they had backpacks and stuff. You never knew what they had, but they had something. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so uh, in um, First Contact, the movie, Zephram Cock- Cochran talks about peeing. But other than right. that, you really don't hear about it. No. Well, you don't hear about it in a lot of shows. Yeah. Or at least you didn't. Now you do all the time. It was kind well, of a, a taboo thing, a taboo subject on TV back then. Yes. But Al Bundy was man enough to tackle it. Well, uh, um, Al Bundy, but also Archie Bunker. <laughs> wasn't there some references to Archie him? Archie Bunker? I, be- I bet so. I bet yeah. so. I bet so. Anyways. I'll tell you one other thing that I thought was kind of a maybe a risque at the time uh, panel, yeah. and that's the picture of the like American general. I don't know if it's supposed to be Washington, but it shows him striking Uhura with a stick. Oh, well, which, yeah. Which you, if it was a man hitting another man, that that's you see that all the time. But for a man striking a woman with a stick, that's pretty it's pretty racy at the time. Yeah. And the thing is, you see I think it's McCoy um being struck by a Nero or some kind of a a Roman type of guy. Right. And, and right you, on the you head. see the little exactly and you see the, the, the like the white streaks coming back, so that's blatant. Ohura is facing us and she, her eyes are closed, and she's kind of going down. Yeah. Yeah, but... It, it definitely but the looks guys, like he just hit her. It, it does look like it, but his arm is all the way back. I think he backhanded. Uh, I guess he's winding winding a backhanded? Yeah, think? I think he just swung and hit her in the back, and that's why she's falling, and, and his hand is, yeah, is up, ready that to come else, up. Yeah. Uh, he hit her once, and he's getting, winding up for another crack at it. Yeah, mm. that's what I think, too. But anyways, yeah, that's, that, that is, yeah. It just Poor seemed Uhura. odd for uh, a kid's book. Yeah. Yeah, and these guys are getting hit by clubs and stuff. And then what does, Sp- what, what does Kirk say? I know, Bones, but I just can't bring myself to shoot Abraham Lincoln. Who writes this stuff? <laughs> and if this I is actually crap... Kirk's second time to meet Abraham Lincoln, so... Exactly. He's met him before. Now, he didn't have any... He didn't have to shoot him the last time, did he? No, he was on his side. And that time, the uh, that's the what episode is that? Savage Within, something like that. 
Something like Savage that. Curtain. Something yeah. savage. Anyways, that one they were they weren't robots. They were like some other alien form, right? Like a silicone alien well, type rock person. Uh, I forgot exactly, but they were not. They were they weren't robots. No, right. They were some sort of alien that was taking on the the likeness of Kalis and uh, Surak and Abraham Lincoln. You know the big three. Yeah, <laughs> the big three. I read somewhere that originally they wanted Jesus to be there, but they thought that would be too <laughs> controversial, so they changed it to uh, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, okay. And Which kind of makes sense. Curtain, if, I mean, because Kalis and Surak are the religious figures of those two species. So it makes sense that it would be some religious figure on Earth, but... I can't understand. I, I I do see why maybe NBC would be like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it would have been interesting. All right, so anything else? Definitely were right. It was the Savage Curtain. Oh, was I? Cool. Good memory. Yes. So that's it. That's all I have to say about it. Okay. Well, that finishes up this episode. So join uh, us. What? Yes. No, no. Great. This is it. This is the end. Uh, three excellent books. You know, something you guys will want to re- read again and again. I'm sure. And don't forget about the YouTube. Look it up. You can uh, watch Dinosaur Planet. Excellent. And also remember about viewers' choice. Yeah. And we'll Listeners remind you again next week. Excellent. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks for joining okay. us. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.